looks like a complete dweeb. He's got like big, thick, horn-rimmed glasses. And he had a bit of a reputation for like. So, hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, reviews, and reactions to all things NFL. The draft is pretty much upon us, but the time you're listening to us, it'll probably be tonight or the night afterwards. Um, yeah, very exciting times. Time to pick some new prospects. So, hey, we got Connor here, and we got Ronan. Hello. How are you getting on? How's tricks? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, it's back to being sunny down here in Cork, so uh, getting to enjoy that from inside, of course. Uh, mm. It's like the uh, daily walk. Uh, but yeah, coronavirus continues to go shut down. There is now talk of some relaxation uh, at the start of next month. But uh, for now, staying inside, staying safe, you know, stay indoors, etc., etc. Mm. Yeah, we're uh, we have had ours extended, but then they've also just announced there to us uh, yesterday evening that uh, this Wednesday is going to be Victory Over Corona Day. And we have defeated it, and we will not share our secrets with the rest of the world, but I think it means they're just going to get everything back to normal because it's completely crippled the economy out here. Yeah, like, like I don't want to say like Iraq has any history of victory achieved or victory accomplished or any other things like that that would... Uh, create unfortunate parallels right there. Yeah, so there's there's a few more stuff that's open these days, so we went out, we're able to get like a couple more shops open. There's now hairdressers open, so I'm going to start looking slightly less like a strange homeless man, which will be good. Uh, but the weather, I was considering keeping it growing, but the weather's already gotten so hot as as uh, listeners can't hear us, but I'm sure Fitz can see on the uh, on the Skype connection that uh, I've gone nice and pink from my 20 minutes out in the sun earlier today. It's already at sunburn levels, so I'm going to have to stock up on uh, on sun cream and hope for the best at this point. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I'm looking forward to a little bit more normality, but I'm still completely in the dark as to when I'm back to work and stuff properly. Yeah, but I suppose we're going to be kept busy this week now with a draft coming up at the end of it. Uh, so we'll, we'll, what we'll do in this one, we'll do a kind of a draft where we we'll go position by position, look at some of the big name players who are coming out, and then we'll do a mock draft at the end. We've got mine and yours. Uh, I think you you had to do a lot more depth than I did. I didn't think I've, uh, I haven't actually done the, the trades and whatnot. I've, I've, I've <laughs> predicted a magical tradeless first round, which is uh, definitely not going to happen. But we will go through a few small bits of news before we kick off. So, as you can imagine at this point, big breaking news is some stu- some players have now uh, contracted COVID-19. So the first one was uh, LA Ram Center, Brandon Allen. So he was the first player officially diagnosed. That was, I believe, the breaking news that was happening during the week last week. Uh, that, let's be honest, it felt a little bit over-egged whenever we were getting... Uh, whenever we were getting messages about tomorrow I'm going to break news it's very big and groundbreaking You're kind of like uh, okay so it's it's a, a center that no one really knows all that much as disease a large amount of the population is going to get mind blown <laughs> don't be don't be uh, so dismissive huh? yeah. centers are people too oh of course uh, they I mean are. a punter that would be real big news of course or a long snapper that would be the biggest news of all yeah, I yeah, know, of course. Uh, and then we've also now, we've, we've since had uh, some of the more high-profile named players coming out, kind of testing stuff, the biggest one being probably Denver outside linebacker Von Miller has uh, confirmed that he has it at the moment. He says, apparently all the reports out that he's okay, he's resting at home and it's nothing too serious um, for him at the moment. But yeah, like, 
these are the kind of people who have money to, 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 to get healthcare and stuff like that, so hopefully they'll be in good position to, to manage it, you know? Yeah, well, that's the hope, of course. We'll yeah. see how it ends up turning out. And I'm sure, I'm sure we're just going to have a slew of these coming over the next while as well. So, uh, so that'll be that'll be interesting to see. Uh, in other bits of news, uh, they've now, obviously, we mentioned last time we're going to have a digital draft with everyone on a, a Zoom call and a simultaneous teleconference and whatnot. Uh, they have decided to make some amendments to allow for technical issues that might occur. One of which I find quite interesting is they're now going to bring in a stop the clock option. So if there is a trade being processed or being finally hammered out as a clock hits zero, they're going to stop the clock and allow that trade to be processed. Uh, obviously, this is because they're expecting it to be more difficult to get around. You know, head coach needs to talk to GM, needs to talk to their cap guys, needs to talk to their legal probably and whatnot. So. Uh, I can see why it's necessary, but it'll be interesting to be like, oh no, it's frozen, what's going on? And it's, oh, some terrible trades happening in the background. It'd be an interesting wrinkle. It kind of kills off some of the pressure on the 10 minutes, though, doesn't it? Yeah, and of course, you know, any any rule like this made up on the spot, it could be open to uh, manipulations. Oh, like God, there's going to be this Bill Belichick lining up fake trade yeah. after fake trade to delay everyone. <laughs> Like, like you know, if he says he's trying to trade, do a trade deal with like Bill O'Brien, will anyone not believe him? Like Bill O'Brien's willing to trade anyone, That's anything, for anything in, in exchange. So uh, I suppose the only issue with that is that they wouldn't believe that Bill O'Brien would put up such a fight before giving away his entire draft uh, capital for I don't know uh, Julian Edelman. I'm still, I'm still expecting to hear more out of the Texans and more just like, please, just stop, please, like. Bill O'Brien is an absolute disaster for them, and I just can't. I can't see him being done yet. I think he's going to try and make some more wheeler dealer moves. Um, yeah. The other one that I thought was interesting: crime and punishment. How are they doing? I don't think these are anywhere near felonies. The Saints have mounted a sting operation to try and catch out uh, their season ticket ticket tout. So they've been doing analysis over who's been attending the games on season tickets that have been sold because uh, they thought there was a large cohort of people who were buying them and then just uh, selling the tickets to individual games off to whoever was looking for them. So apparently it was a success. They found a load of them. They've pulled those season tickets away from those people and have now released them to those on the season ticket waiting list. Uh, it's obviously a good thing, I suppose. I, I, I always find it's 50-50 because you like the idea of people visiting for games because obviously we don't live in America. If we visit for games, I want to be easy enough to be able to get my hands on some tickets. But um, I can see why they want to, like, kind of... These guys are just basically running these as a for-profit element then. I can see why they might have put a stop to them and put some actual bums in the seats. Yeah, like, I think it's about scale. You know, if you're doing it this at, like, an industrial scale, then hopefully those are the people that they're catching here. Is that likely? I'm not really sure. You'd have to get dig into the details to know, but hopefully they're kind of getting at those big guys. The only other news that's really existing out there is rumours around... Uh, Jamal Adams and, and uh, Leonard Fournette from the Jets and, and Jaguars, respectively, has now potentially been um, effectively on the trade block to some extent. Mm-hmm. So Jamal Adams, the, the the Jets are apparently having difficulty getting to sign a contract, so they might trade him. And Leonard Fournette is actively on the trade block, and Jaguars are shopping him and uh, not having much uh, interest at the moment. So just a couple of names to keep on mm-hmm. in mind, alongside the likes of Trent Williams, who we've already talked about last week, and. Uh, People like Anthony Harris, who've been tagged mm. or tagging trade candidates. There was also and, uh, um, yeah, There was also rumors well. during the week about um, Odell Beckham being traded to the Vikings. I believe it was, but nothing seems to have materialized of that since, and it's been denied by 
uh, Odell's people and a few of the Browns people, but uh, we'll see, we'll see. Uh, yeah, to be honest, on those running back things, if I had to read another shoddily written article about why the Chiefs should take Leonard Fournette, the uh, fucking... <laughs> Yeah, oh, he's only four million this year and cost eight and a half million to keep him next year. And was like their rushing game was a fraction of the production that ours was. Like, fuck off, seriously, just fuck off. Um, but yeah, it's it's. I don't see the value to to like Jamal Adams. I can see the value too. I think, but like if you're if you're running an old an old school playbook, sure, like maybe Leonard Fournette can you can see and see how he might like fit within that. But the Chiefs are not like the Chiefs are at the other end of the scale. They're playing something closer to the innovative stuff we see in college. Like it's just, it's such a bad fit. I, I like, you know, Leonard Fournette, they threw the ball to him so much last year and he just looked out of place doing it. He's got such a slow turn radius and then the Chiefs offense, yeah. you don't need a thumping running back who needs 20 carries a game. That's just not part of the job. No. You have Patrick Mahomes. There was, um, there was, there was a big kind of statistical analysis done by a couple of fans on it about like what running backs do in the Chiefs offense. <laughs> it's like, it's something like, I think I think it was sixty percent or seventy percent of plays the running back never gets to the line of scrimmage, uh, let alone past the line of scrimmage because it's all blocking mechanisms and like escape routes. Like there's nothing, there's nothing about uh, constantly just gathering your three three yards and and head down kind of shit. But um, yeah, so that's kind of it's not been a very busy week for news in terms of actual like current players. Mostly because like we said, everyone is gearing up for the draft. So. I think we should probably just head like straight into that and we'll go into kind of a position by position breakthrough. Okay, so I suppose we'll start with, uh, as I say, the most important position in football, special teams. Uh, no, we'll, 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 start, we'll start with the quarterbacks. Um, there's four quarterbacks probably expected to be first rounders or nearabouts uh, with possibly another one or two who could slip up or down. Um, they are Joe Burrow of LSU, Tua Tua Gov- Oh, I'm gonna get this one wrong. <laughs> Tua Tuga Viola is that? Tuga Viola. Justin Herbert of Oregon, Jordan Love of Utah State, and then the other fifth would probably be Jacob Easton from Washington. So, like, all the analysis points to Joe Burrow being the the kind of already made pick at number one for the Bengals, right? Like. Smart guy, had a monster year last year, won the national championship. Uh, doesn't have the world's biggest arm, but seems to be able to put things in tight windows. Smart about diagnosing schemes. Like, there's always the question of, as good as you can be at that at the college level, how does that play in the NFL? But he does seem to be, particularly with the injury to two and everything, just the kind of consensus, he's, he's the guy. Yeah, basically. Like, like this is a... It's a relatively unusual situation because he basically hadn't really, he'd only started one year before this and hadn't been that impressive in 2018. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, LSU and he became the most explosive set of players in the league. This is like coming from, you know, he's in a senior season, he's 23, like he's not a, I suppose, someone you'd expect to have that level of jump perhaps, but like the statistics speak for themselves. You're talking about a, over 5,600 yards, 60 touchdowns, six interceptions. Like, all year, he was just lighting teams up. Um, with a combination of kind of doing well within the pocket, he has good pocket awareness, he's well, well able to run within a timing-based offense, although a lot of his receivers were wide open due to the scheme. But he also showed numerous times that when he got outside the pocket, he was also incredibly good at being able to make the right play, the right read, and getting explosive plays when he was forced out. So he's got adequate 
uh, I suppose, uh, speed, intangibles, like, let's start speed. So he's not like, like he's not a statue in the pocket. I'm not talking about like a, mm-hmm. the new Tom Brady or something like that here. So he does have that, but obviously he's not going to be a Lamar Jackson type. But I think, you know, yeah, the big issue with him is that his arm, we're not, not talking about these kind of rocket arm guys who can throw it like down the field, off platform like Pat Mahomes. We're talking about someone who, you know, needs to use their technique, needs to use their actual footwork to ensure that they can do their passes. But it once they see the play, they make the play. And yeah, like obviously your biggest concern there is just that he's done, he had this one year, this amazing, you know, out of nowhere, because he wasn't even talked about it. So no, he was, he was, he was, a, he was a day two or before last day, year. Day three probably, kind mm. of guy. But basically you see these types of results and it's very hard to ignore a Heisman winner with this type of gaudy statistics and with this type of, you know, what the people are seeing on tape is franchise quarterback type style. Are you getting the type of upside that you might get, uh, that you're going to get with some of these other guys? Maybe not, but if you're talking about someone who can day one go into your team and hopefully make them a competitive team, then that's what you're hoping to get at Joe Burrow. Now, we'll see. Like, maybe that LSU system made him look better than he is, but, you know, he'll get the ultimate test if he ends up being drafted number one to see if that was, you know, indicative of who he is as a player or whether... Maybe he was a little bit uh, exaggerated by what he got there in LSU. No, of course. Uh, two of the prospects from Alabama, uh, very good drill threat kind of quarterback, has good speed, except for an RPG kind of run option setup. Uh, the He was going into the years, so Joe Burrow, his massive skyrocketed, uh, notwithstanding, going into the season two was considered to be the guy who was going to be the number one overall pick, or at least the number one quarterback coming out of this draft. He had quite a serious hip injury, which had everyone worried because it reminded them of famous other hip injuries that people didn't come back from. He seems to have recovered well, but he also had some ankle injuries in the past. He's a little bit smaller than you would maybe expect, but you know when he played, he lit it up. The worry is, and I think we mentioned this in the last uh, in the last podcast, that because he can't go down to pro days, because he can't go on site for medicals, because he did a digital pro day where he just like had a video stream of him uh, throwing and, and stuff like that to show that he's back. Um, he's a very intriguing prospect. He's possibly the guy with like the highest potential ceiling in this group, depending on what your thoughts on Jordan Love are. But he is also the most kind of 50-50, will it work out? Is he healed? We haven't seen him play for the bones of a year now at this point. Like that those questions are going to pop up and it's going to cause them to slide a bit, but it means that someone could get, this guy could go third, fourth in the quarterbacks and someone could get a real steal with him. Yeah, like if, if he does slide, which is always possible, then there's a, yeah, like then there's a good chance you might be getting the absolute bargain of this and the best quarterback in the draft. Like based on his amount of work and the work he's had since he became quarterback for Alabama, uh, he's been one of the most explosive playmaker in the college level. Like he, like he, he like I like I kind of talking about there. Like he has the skills to be a really effective like read pass option. Sorry, like a read option type quarterback. Whenever he is put under pressure, he, he can has made a mistake or two. But more often than not, he escapes the pocket and makes a huge chunk play, even when things break down in front of him. But he's also shown the type of accuracy that's had him compared to Drew Brees. Obviously, another undersized uh, quarterback, uh, the kind of originator, I suppose, uh, in, in the modern era. Um, and so you're looking at here someone like, you know, if you're combining, like, someone who could have, say, like, you're talking about, I suppose, someone like, almost like Russell Wilson, who combines the ability to run 
they'll be even more explosive in the case of Tua uh, with that type of accuracy than you're talking about the all, you know, the all singing, all dancing modern quarterback. You mm-hmm. know, like, you know, that's a situation where if that's what you're getting, and like it's important to note that when he came into Alabama, when he took over, I think it was uh, towards the end of the of his um, sophomore year. Um, he made that offense, which for, had for many years been very pedestrian. Like Alabama was always considered a defensive program. He instantly took that offense to being one of the best in the league, and he instantly turned them into probably, to a certain extent, an offense first team. And I think considering what he was able to do instantly and considering how much more explosive he made that team look as compared to whatever else had been there at Alabama for a time, then I think that's the kind of, the kind of jump that you see on tape, that you see in time. That will make people. I think someone will be willing to take that risk very early and take Tua uh, with a high pick. I well, think, that's the yes, thing. I think injury I, risks are huge, but yeah, this I, th- is a I think that's the thing. Team. I think I think we both agree, and I think we both have them going pretty high up in our in, in our respective drafts. Uh, Justin Herbert from Oregon is looks like a quarterback, big arm, can read the thing, but looks quite safe. Kind of pedestrian, a lot of stuff. Uh, I would kind of be thinking a pro comparison in my head for him would be kind of maybe early days Kansas City, Alex Smith uh, kind of level of competent, but maybe it's not all there. Jordan Love, the Utah State guy, again, could be really good, could be poor, has a lot of mistake. I would I would comp him to being a Jameis Winston type of, could be really good, but could also just be flat shit. like. Yeah, so I think like Burrow and two are, are, are consensus, the, the top two quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Even if Herbert might might suit some teams more and there's talk that certain teams we're talking about during the mock draft who might be willing to take Herbert um, over to him, uh, just because of the injury concerns or maybe a preference to put him behind here but I think you know both these guys I suppose fit the same type of idea they're prototypical quarterbacks like this is Justin Herbert from Oregon and Jordan Love from the United States these are guys who look the part and there's been a lot of you know psychological analysis of evaluators getting in love with people who look like people rather than people who actually play like people, but they're kind of almost at opposite ends of the spectrum mm. in terms of how people see them. Like Justin Herbert, like he's generally seen as kind of a relatively safe. He, he basically didn't throw deep a lot. And to be honest, at the times when he did throw deep, most of the tape says that he was capable of having absolutely amazing plays that make you want to take him in the top five, but was also had several games where he looked like uh, he didn't know what he was doing. He threw picks. He, he didn't do it. So it's really tough coming from the Oregon system, knowing quite what you're getting there. Um, but I suppose the major thing there is that, like, I suppose he's, he's mechanical. He doesn't intentionally throw picks. And when things were going badly, he tended to revert to very short passes, the screen passes, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Whereas, so that's like you're kind of getting someone who's who was too much too safe on tape, maybe because of the coaches to a certain extent. Uh, but has this kind of upside potential that you saw occasionally that gets you interested while having lots of moments and then you go, what the hell is he doing? Whereas Jordan Love is much more of your gunslinger type where he's a boom and bust prospect in the sense that he plays boom and bust. He just loves throwing it down the field. He loves taking contested catches and you know he can make all the throws with his arm and size and that's why he's compared to like a poor man's Pat Mahomes. Uh, 
the evaluators are also very quick to say he's not Pat Mahomes uh, in retrospect, I suppose. Uh, but obviously, there's just issues there where you know his wind up apparently is a bit slow, and he has a bit of a tendency not to you know use his eyes correctly, which is huge at the NFL level because defensive backs are so quick to read you if, you, if you're obvious. And he had a lot of interceptions. He had a lot of interceptions at the college level, and that's a major concern because turnovers are death at the next level, at the NFL level. So while both of these are kind of prototypical prospects, one's kind of someone that has flashes of really great play, top five play, uh, but who's kind of hamstrung by his very limited tape. And the other one is someone who just threw it up for grabs, didn't care about that, um, and then you're kind of just hoping that you can kind of tame that and turn on something useful. As for anyone else, like quarterback is the most important position, so just the other kind of guys there, like Jacob Eason, kind of a big arm guy, but with some character issues and some mistakes from the pocket. And then someone like, like Jake Fromm from Georgia, Jalen Hurts is a kind of athletic guy uh, who had a really good year with Oklahoma. Um, so those are three of the other guys that you might hear in the first day, on the second day, but uh, those top mm-hmm. four guys are the only ones really likely to go on day one. No, of course, we'll move on then. Uh, running back, like we said, this position has been divided a lot of of late. Uh, I'm not sure if I've even got a running back going in the first round in my one. Uh, maybe yeah. One. So I think I think neither none of these guys this year are your kind of can't miss candidate. Like no one's getting like a Saquon Barkley level of hype, mm-hmm. where it's like this guy will just instantly turn your offense into a top level offense. These are just all kind of in different ways really uh, solid guys but perhaps guys who maybe are going towards being 1A 1B type guys mm-hmm. preferably someone you compare with a, with a veteran uh, or a running back um, so the two guys that are talked about as potential first round picks um, are Andre Smith and Jonathan Taylor so Andre Smith from Georgia he's considered to be uh, like a high IQ prospect and he with a very decisive running style uh, which is also slippery. So, and I think the big thing is he's a three down back. He's got good hands. He's got a really mature route tree, according to scouts. Like he's someone who can, who actually knows how to, you know, run routes and get into the right position and can understand the scheme and has pretty decent um, pass blocking as well. So this is someone that you can trust day one to kind of put in there. Because what happens with most of you guys, they have they're really good at one thing but not good at the other thing. Yeah. So this is someone who can go in between the tackles. Um, someone who can go out wide, someone who can go take passes from the backfield, basically do all of the things. But the problem is that he doesn't have those kind of physical attributes that make you go, like salivate, like Saquon Barkley. He's got pretty good speed, but he doesn't have that elite speed that means that every play is potentially a touchdown. Um, and he had some ball security issues, though, all these guys, because he had that. And maybe he plays a little bit soft for those guys who like their running backs to finish with authority. Um, so I think DeAndre Smith is kind of considered the top prospect because he's the more modern, prototypical mm-hmm. uh, running back in today's league. Whereas Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin was a production machine in the at the college level. He did 12 games over 200 yards. Um, basically, you, yeah, that's a lot of yards. That's like he, crazy. I, like. I think he was over 2,000 in two seasons as well. So this is someone. <laughs> if you if you're an old school type coach who just wants to run their offense through the running back you want to just get give this guy you know you want to do the new adrian peterson type uh then this is someone who you will look at and go that guy has proven that he's able to do that and he still has the kind of top level speed where every game like everything can go to the end zone so he's a bit like adrian peterson but he doesn't quite have the same hype and despite the production i suppose the issue with him is that 
he has all that production, that means he's been running a lot for a long time. Mm. So if you're talking wear and tear, there's issues there, and there's also issues that he, he has issues with fumbles at the college level, a big major no-no for coaches, of course. And, you know, he had some catching, but minimal catching. So you're in the modern NFL, can you afford to have someone who isn't a huge pass threat on third down and pick them in the first round? Yeah. That's a big question. So I think Jonathan Taylor probably suits more of your old-school type coach who wants to establish the run and such like that. And to be honest, as the NFL is moving forward, that's just becoming less and less relevant. There's fewer and fewer coaches who ascribe mm-hmm. to that philosophy. Yeah, it could, be, uh, it could be an interesting pick-up, actually, for the Titans and have the air apparent in behind... Uh behind the current setup you know but uh, I don't know maybe actually um, in the same way there's a couple of other running backs but no one who's, who's going to sniff the first round uh, as, as we said even though the running back kind of spot isn't somewhere where we're seeing a lot of people getting taken this is a draft that's been known in advance for its wide receiver group uh, not so much the tight ends but the wide, but the wide receiver group uh, <laughs> there's there's three, four, possibly, uh, depending on who you talk to, sometimes five going in the first round, but I think there's always three at least going. So we've got probably top two are C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy from Oklahoma and Alabama. Uh, Lamb is very big, explosive, 50-50 kind of ball catcher. Isn't the largest player in the world, so you'd wonder about does he have the physicality for playing at the NFL level in press and stuff like that. But like, He's really quick. He's shown really good hands. He's shown the ability to, to, to do whatever you want on the field, although there has been criticisms of him not being the most dedicated. He can be a bit lazy sometimes because, as well as at the college level, if you're that athletic, then you can get away with maybe having imperfect... Yeah. Well, like, it's stuff. important to remember the Oklahoma offense has been killing in the college level for three years. Like, like they, they had Kyler, like, sorry, they had uh, Baker Mayfield, obviously, drafted number one. Two years ago, Kyler Murray was in that same offense, and Jalen Hurts, although he's not going to be drafted in the first round probably, was similarly productive in Oklahoma. So that Oklahoma offense does create a lot of yards, even if C.D. Lamb is still considered to have you know, been part of the reason of that, but perhaps you know, you always worry, I suppose, that those really explosive offenses in the past, sometimes the players coming from them haven't quite lived up to their expectations. Mm-hmm. I suppose like based on his tape and based on what evaluators are saying, he is a bona fide wide receiver number one, and in a less stacked wide receiver class, he would probably be a lot higher. I suppose one thing to note here, like like wide receiver, we're going to talk about primarily just CD Lamb and Jerry Judy because they're like the two guys that are consensus number two. But most people are now saying the wide receiver class is you know 20, 30 deep in terms of mm-hmm. day one contributor type guys. So we're only really scratching the surface here of these guys. But CD Lamb, despite that, is still kind of considered to be you know, the best one, probably the best combination of explosive playmaker while also still having those, you know, wide receiver um, technical skills that make you go, this is a guy who day one, number one, start making big plays for you and start making a contribution from, uh, you know, from the kind of traditional wide receiver role. No, of course. And like we said, basically, if, the, if, if your team is looking at wide receivers, this is a good year to be looking for wide receivers. Uh, Jerry Judy is probably number two. There's actually two out of the Alabama offense, Judy and Ruggs, are both here. So Judy is very, very, very quick. He's a sprinter as well. Uh, some would say that maybe he's a little bit just too much of a stretch guy. I'll be honest, I, seeking as a Chiefs fan, I haven't had any problems with these guys who are just sprinters and stretch types. I think you can scheme around that pretty effectively if you, <laughs> well, if, if you want not, to. Like he, has, he has sprinters, but he doesn't have quite the you know, Tyreek Hill level yeah. of 
like blow your head off speed. But he's still like, what, what four, three, five, or four, four, something like that. But like the thing you hear about Jerry Judy all the time, he's a right runner, he's a right runner, he's a right runner. This guy understands rights, he does beautiful rights, he gets open even when he shouldn't be, and obviously at the NFL level that's huge. Mm. Um, his only issues is that maybe his, like his hands are a little bit suspect. He had a few catches, the drops that maybe he could have got. And I suppose he's just kind of one of these kind of longer, leggier guys who, like, he has to be an elite right runner because that's the only way to get open. He would perhaps be easier to jam up uh, otherwise. And, like, you know, as we go through the rest of these guys, all of these are potential first-round guys. There's even other guys who we aren't talking about here are also talked about as first-round guys. So, like, Henry Ruggs is, like, he's getting a lot of hype right now, even though his, you know, right running and release are very unpolished because he's basically Tyreek Hill level fast. Yeah. Like, he's the kind of guy who, you know, can take the top off the defense day one, but everyone sees Tyreek Hill and what he's been able to do since coming into the league, and they're going, if I can get that guy and I can make that work, then I can do what Tyreek Hill does, which is, like, a risk of huge plays every time, but also someone who gives you ma- major flexibility on all these different mm-hmm. nice screens, slants, crossing routes, put them in the backfield, just do whatever you need to to make this guy get you yards. And then you have guys like Justin Jefferson, who's kind of a contested catch guy, yeah. um, but, you know, uh, maybe... You're safe, uh, you're, you're safe put, eight yards if needed in a, in a yeah, moment. Yeah, just a guy yeah. you put in the slot and can get you those eight yards you need on third down or five yards, whatever. And then T. Higgins, who's kind of your red zone, um, guy uh, who you know maybe can get in there and just kind of jump ball in that kind of situation, and like yeah, as you mentioned the tight end class is, is terrible. Like, like <laughs> Cole connects like one guy. There's a few other guys, but you will be surprised to see anyone in the first round taken as a tight end. It's just like there's guys Harrison Bryant, a few other guys like that are, are worth mentioning, but they're not they're not likely to be major game changers. Particularly if the tight end position is so hard to get game changers day one at the draft anyway. No, of course. Um, we'll shift on to the last part of the offense, the offensive line. Um, so, yeah, it seems to be a fairly decent tackle class here as well. Now, I'm, I always get confused at this point of, because pretty much most of them are, are listed as tackles, and you go like, well, this is a tackle who you're going to turn into a guard on that side or whatever. So I'm never, never sure on that. I can just kind of look at what they say and go, okay, he sounds good, he sounds bad. Uh, hopefully, you know, it works out. So we got Jedrick Willis from Alabama, uh, Tristan Wirfs from Iowa. I'm going to have fun with that for the next year. And uh, <laughs> Mecky Becton from Louisville are probably the three biggest ones. And you've got the likes of Cesar Ruiz at center and that as well. Thomas and Jackson as other tackles. Um, yeah, they all seem to be kind of like your big prototypical athletic size, good technique guys, like three kind of you'd be happy to take in the first round, which to be honest, it hasn't felt like we've had kind of three or four prospects that were first round prospects in a single year in a while. Yeah, and to be honest, some of these other guys like Andrew Thomas and Austin Jackson, there's a good chance they go later in the first round. Mm-hmm. Like like Jedrick Wills, you're talking about someone with all the athleticism in the world and with good technique. And someone basically maximizes the amount of power he's got to, even though he's a little bit undersized for the position. So that's, it's always, always a little bit concerned these guys aren't quite as hulking, they're not quite as impressive, mm-hmm. but you know, you cannot fault his ability to maximize everything that he has and basically be a great offensive lineman. So if you're looking for someone day one who can come in and be a great player for you, then like Jedrick Wills is the kind of complete finished prospect. Um, and as long as you don't as long as you don't put him in a scheme where he's required to be a mauler 
um, then he should be a like an excellent day one starter. There's not that too many teams that in their left tackle would probably go, we want a Mahler type anymore. That's maybe more right tackle type of thing. Mm-hmm. Then with Tristan Wirth, you got you know someone who look, maybe looks more the part, yeah. who is powerful looking, but um, you know perhaps lacks the kind of arm length and stuff that you and kind of ability to kind of get outside that you want from a tackle. So maybe someone you might end up kicking into guard early on. Or itself, that's kind of the backup plan as a guard, and he's only ever played right tackle. So if you want a left tackle, that's an issue there. Um, and there are occasional whiffs on tape. And then Mekdi Beckin um, is probably considered to be the the biggest upside one, even compared to Tristan Wirth. This is a guy who's big, like big, big. This is a bear of a player, <laughs> but who happens to have like who happens to, for his size have. Well, what looks like really good athleticism and really good speed. He's a, a dancing bear, I think, is the, the, the thing they say about. And he's also a very good pass blocker uh, or a very good pass blocker based on his tape. But the issues are that he throws a few lapses on his tape and there's issues with these really big guys that it's a very difficult way to play a high-intensity game. Mm. If, you go to a, if you go to a program uh, or a team which doesn't make sure that he stays in the right path, then you worry he might end up becoming, you know, overwhelmed by his weight. You know, as you get older, you know, the weight tends to get more difficult <laughs> to, to carry. I don't know what you're talking about, Fitz. It's hopefully a guy that you get into a program that makes sure to keep him on the right path and where mm-hmm. he's got the right people to mentor him. Uh, but Andrew Thomas, that's a guy who had three years starting experience from Georgia. Uh, I think if you're looking for someone who can plug and play, perhaps someone might want to be more towards uh, a zone scheme as well because it's a little bit uh, like slower. If you're looking for someone who needs to overpower people, maybe not the best guy, but if you're looking mm-hmm. for someone who's more technique-driven, he'd be a good one. And Austin Jackson is, is pretty good. And Cesar Ruiz is probably the only the only internal uh, offensive lineman we consider talked about at all for... Um, talked about it all for first round consideration and even that that's probably like you're talking your, your late 20s 30s type of pick yeah. so there's not really much in the way of guards and centres we're talking about this year but there's a fair amount of obviously we're seeing here tackles that are very intriguing mm-hmm. uh, other guys there's other guys alongside these that might make the first round as well these are just the top five guys uh, no, based on we're seeing so far so we'll swing over to the defensive side of the ball. So we'll go a kind of edge player. So these are your kind of marquee outside linebackers, defensive ends tend to be your pass rushery types. Um, it's they, it's not a lot of elite talent at this. Uh, there's good depth there. And if you've got your guys who you think can coach them up, there's a lot of impressive uh, prospects. But there's not really your kind of load of surefire this guy is going to come in and, you know, your Nick Bosa types. So you've got Chase Young, who is that? He is considered, can't miss, is kind of, if it wasn't for the fact that, you know, there's a couple of QB needy teams and there's a, like, a potential one-year phenom quarterback available there. Uh, everyone says that he is the best player in the draft, that he's the best prospect, and that he's kind of a guaranteed kind of spot. Looks the part, has the skills, has the tape, has nearly 17 sacks in 2019 uh like if you can just if you can pick him up and put him in the right spot he will be your kind of keystone on your pass rush for presumably 14 years well that actually probably not lasting that long at this point (laughs) what do they get to about 33 before it's all kind of we'll say a decade yeah say a decade decade's a safe bet yeah like he is he is he is the cannot miss prospect in this draft right 
Yeah, like he he is a major step up over these guys and a major step over over most of the other defensive players we've talked about. Um, this is someone with 16 and a half sacks in, in 2019 and is someone that people are saying still has fairly raw uh, partial skills like, like in terms of his hands and technique and stuff. So you're talking about someone who is still ascending as a prospect mm. and basically if you have the right coach, the right system, there's no reason to believe that he can't dominate from day one and become better over time. Like, there's not much more to say about them. He's basically everything that yeah. you want. He's productive in college. He's got good skills already. He looks the part. He's an absolute beast of a man. Um, so you're talking about here someone that, you know, everyone says is going to be a, a, a great player. And, you know, I'm not going to – I don't think either of us are in any way qualified to go against the grain. Like, basically everything we're seeing here is someone who – can play an A scheme, can make a big difference, and uh, yep. could work three, four, four, three. Just yeah, someone's going to draft them. And yeah, so like the other guys you're looking at here are like uh, Clayvon Chazon. Jesus, Christ. I'm going to have so much fun with some of these. Uh, uh, Yetur Gross Matos. Uh, so like Clayvon from LSU, considered very good, has good pass rush moves. Looks like he'll be able to kind of bend the corner, but has some injury concerns from beforehand. Uh, I think he tore his ACL. Uh, Yetter Gross Matos from Penn State. Again, good prospect, potentially very good power rusher, but needs technique. Again, like what we're seeing with a lot of these guys are, you see the physical traits you want, you see concerns of either injury or kind of not being polished enough yet. And it's going to have to be guys kind of coming in and going, okay, they might make some impact in year one, but really what it's going to be is spending a year of getting them in their weight room, getting them with their technique coaches and getting them to practice up and build a repertoire. Because like, yeah. you know, you can, you can be a, a nine sack guy in college with a single move if you hit the right competition and you've got a team around you where that's not going to fly in the, in the NFL. Yeah, and like, like they're, kind of, they're kind of contrasting Chase on and Gross Matos in terms of their style. Like Chase on's more of a finesse rusher, someone who get, gets around the edge. Um, and Gross Matos is, in theory, going to be more of a power rusher. He's got the the raw physicality, but he needs to bulk up a bit. But he uh, he's shown a lot of raw talent. And someone like Terrell Lewis, who's had a injury affected development at Alabama, uh, but when he did play flash type of skill, that he could be an athletic, high upside prospect. Like the only, like all three of those are kind of risky to one extent or another. Um, I think you know injury is probably a bigger risk, which is why Terrell Lewis might go in the second round. Uh, but they're all projects basically. There's no one like Chase Young there. If you're looking for more of a safe pick, then someone like AJ Epinesa uh, might be the guy. He's someone who has a good motor, who has a good set of pass rush skills, like and was able to get production at the college level, a lot of sacks at the college level. Uh, but he kind of lacks those kind of uh, physical attributes that make you, you know, want to to, to put him. As a very high pick, he's someone who gets by by effort rather and skill rather than by having the kind of dominant skills that turn you into a perennial all-pro. So no, maybe Espinosa could turn into a Pro Bowl level player here. And it's the kind of guy you could see someone like say New England pick up just as someone who can you know not flashy you know doesn't doesn't like jump off the page but get you like near ten sacks a season sets the edge and make sure that the rest of the defensive scheme runs as expected. No, of course. Uh, next up are D-tackles, your inside hefty boys on the defensive line. Uh, Derek Brown of Auburn and Javon Kinlaw of South Carolina are probably your two major ones here. We've also got uh, Ross Blackrock, Justin uh, Matabiki, 
And <laughs> Pardon? Matabike, I think. Matabike. Uh, I'll okay. double check them on myself. And uh, Jordan Elliott. Um, so, yeah, like, again, two top guys here, kind of elite prospect, look to be able to, you know, anchor a line well, have the power needed, have the have the ability to withstand uh, pushing, have the ability to generate a bit of pressure. Like, Derek hasn't really finished as well as maybe you'd want your nose tackle to be, but I always find that these kind of detackle positions are ones that, it really is at the NFL level you start to see the, the the change happen, like the weight they have to carry, the conditioning that they have to go through. Like it's it's a big difference. And Kinlaw again also ability to dominate and make big plays, but his was a bit more kind of inconsistent of he could turn up in one yeah. game and then disappear for another. I think with Lay like Derek Brown, he didn't have as many sacks as I think people expected based on this tape just because he looked like he was dominating so often. It's like, well, why didn't he get to the quarterback if, if he's doing this? Like, this is someone like he's, like he, I saw, I've seen a few blurbs kind of comparing him to a bouncer, just throwing people around at the line of scrimmage and wreaking havoc. Like he's basically got the kind of physical, like build that makes you salivate in someone who could, you know, absolutely dominate, but perhaps, you know, isn't someone who's showing the Aaron Donald level of intelligence where he can slip under if he needs to kind of do those things that Aaron Donald's going to do. But if you're looking for someone who's going to set the line for you in the run game, but also bully the other line and kind of move the pocket in the pass game, then Derek Brown is someone with that uh, with that skill set and obviously has the upside um, to get more sacks based on what people are saying. Based Like some people have him as the as just below Chase Young as the second best prospect in this in this draft and he's someone with that upside that people will want to have but even if he doesn't have an upside you're still talking about like a Pro Bowl level type defensive tackle unless mm-hmm. he ends up getting uh, unlucky uh, whereas Javon Kinlaw is someone with kind of that same set of like really looks really really physical and has that ability to dominate the game but it didn't show up on tape he was someone who seemed to kind of leave a lot of what he had seems what he has available on the cutting room floor and just wasn't really showing that ability but some team is going to look at those flashes and they're going to look at his physical attributes and they're going to take him fairly high in this draft i'd imagine and you know that that's more of a project there and that's more based on the coaching making sure he gets up to speed Mm -hmm. uh, whereas Derek brown probably feels like more of a day one instant impact type of player Mm -hmm. Uh, like the other guys there's no one really beyond those two that's really a a guaranteed home run hit like Ross Blackrock's probably the closest thing to that. Mm-hmm. Um, he's kind of an agile uh, prospect with good. Who's probably you have to you have to run a very specific scheme to want that kind of like more agility based yeah. DT. Uh, I think he, he could be decent as a tree tech, particularly in your sub packages. But yeah, you're probably talking about someone here who's who, who's not going to dominate line scrimmage. Someone who's more of a, a complementary pieces of Blackrock and uh, Madubike. Someone similar. He's undersized and kind of more of a pass rusher mm-hmm. specialist. Uh, and really, once you get past like BlackRock, you're mostly talking about second-day guys, and Jordan Elliott is a versatile guy, but maybe more someone to be part of the rotation than someone who's going to wire you at the at the next level. Yeah. Um, box linebackers, strong safeties. Uh, so Isaiah Sims is the big name on this one, kind of the li- like pro- pro- prototypical linebacker safety hybrid type thing, can move all over, can cover all over, like has a very good brain, understands it well. Uh, maybe he's a bit slow coming down to the ball. Maybe he plays off a little bit too much sometimes, but considered kind of a very good uh, piece. Uh, you, you, your question, obviously, with these ones, it always happens, and we'll probably talk about it a bit with, like, 
think is it Patrick Queen as well that like you want them to go to a scheme that has an idea of what they want to do with him rather than him going to a spot because they think well this guy's the next guy on our board like this feels like a, you don't yeah. want to get him stuck in a tweener kind of spot you want to have him put into somewhere and drilled in a position yeah I think like uh, Simmons has more prototypical um, size where you can just kind of see him being physical enough and big enough and kind of quick enough to be at all these positions he could play in one of these positions well but perhaps is best suited for a defensive coordinator um, who is able to take advantage of his speed flexibility. This is like obviously we know that in the modern NFL, different teams are playing different schemes and maybe from dime to nickel. A lot of sub packages are involved there. And you know, if you think about like Derwin James, that was someone who was brought into the league, and the Chargers, the defensive co- defensive coordinator there, was able to quickly get Derwin James involved in every different aspect of the defense, mm-hmm. coming down to the line of scrimmage, doing the coverage, and he looked really, really good in that position. But you compare that to someone like the experience of someone like Jabril Peppers uh, when he went to Cleveland, another kind of do-it-all defensive player who ended up being washed out is now well not washed out but he's ended up in New York because they never found a position for him so Isaiah Simmons you're kind of he has all the skills he's such an exciting player probably like one of the top at least one of the top five prospects probably top three based on what he did at Clemson but it's just about can you find a defensive coordinator who isn't going to be inflexible and go you know scheme first and maybe he could end up being less effective in that situation Mm -hmm. or do you have a defensive coordinator who embraces his upside his ability to play all these positions and take advantage of the scheme flexibility required in the modern NFL and the defense and make something huge out of that. So I think he's a really exciting player. He's basically everything that you want in terms of coverage. He's basically the perfect modern linebacker. Like, you know, this whole box of linebacker, coverage linebacker, strong safety, I've created, we've created in the last couple of years because that position has kind of melded together yeah. and he's the perfect player to play across that entire spectrum of mm-hmm. what's implied within that, within all of those different type of defensive schemes. If you want him in your 4-3 base, fine. If you want him in your nickel, fine. Dime, whatever. This guy should be making plays, should be making your team better as long as you don't waste him. No, of course, you've also got uh, Kenneth Murray from Oklahoma and Patrick Queen from LSU. So Kenneth Murray quickly... Uh, Good, fast player, good for his big plays and that kind of stuff. A question about does he read the game quickly enough? Will he be able to immediately go in and make a difference? Uh, I think you have a note down here against him saying that he might be better in a 4-3 to start with where he has yeah. less gaps to consider from the position that he'll be sitting in of like they'll have more up front. But I think he, he could be an elite 4-3 OLB, but that's not a position of high... Um of high value within the modern NFL typically this is someone just who goes side to side and makes plays mm-hmm. uh, but he doesn't hasn't shown so far that he has that elite game reading that would make him a perfect like quarterback of your defense like a, a Bobby Wagner this is someone who's just more maybe a, like the KJ Wright of it where he's just going out and making plays and just showing off his physical ability yeah. and then the rest of these guys they're all they're all interesting like Patrick Queen is one of your, your classic boom bust prospect who has all of the physical attributes you want in terms of size and speed um, and with some real flashes of play but he only, he's only a one year starter um, so you're taking a big risk that those flashes are actually uh, worth something and Javon McKinney is like a box, area, a box safety um, who really likes to come to the ball loves making big smash plays uh, but is also versatile enough which is important in the modern NFL to kind of work within those dime and other packages mm-hmm. and then Zach Bowne 
is kind of a, a tweener type of player who can kind of be either someone who could be decent in coverage and in the pass rush. And I think you kind of want to have a, a defensive coordinator in, in, for him who knows what to do with him, basically, who's willing to move things around and kind of use them in different packages to kind of get the most out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so you probably he's a kind of player who's based on what he's done should be a great player, but just needs someone who isn't too inflexible about what they want their players to look like. You know, tell me what you can do, not what you can't. That kind of classic motive. Mm-hmm. Uh, forget about what he looks like in terms of size and where he fits within a traditional scheme. Yeah. No, of course, move on to the defensive backs. This is cornerbacks and kind of free safeties, uh, coverage safety kind of guys. So uh, Jeff Okuda from Ohio State's our kind of top guy here, followed by CJ Henderson. There's a few interesting ones here, like Trayvon Diggs, Jalen Johnson, and that as well. We'll start with the top ones. Uh, Jeff Okuda, again, considered blue chip, very hard to miss on this guy. Uh, does really well in press, can dominate guys. Uh, problem is that he, he's, he's got some tape stuff where he's been kind of shown to be tricked out on, on, on certain plays or kind of yeah. fall off if there's if there's kind of like mixed pattern coverages or picks and stuff like that. He's not as quick to, to, to grab onto them. He might, he might trust the scheme or the system a bit too much and not be willing to... He basically, I suppose, didn't always show a lot of... Um, he's able to read the game, but isn't very, uh, I suppose, spontaneous in being able mm-hmm. to read it as well as a quarterback and stuff like that, like in terms of those elite type of defensive back, like Red Reeds types. He's not that type of player. But based on his ability to play the scheme, to press at the line of scrimmage, his ability to, you know, play man-to-man, if you want to lock up another wide receiver, he is your classic Patrick Peterson type player who can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, if you're playing out oh, maybe more off zone type of thing where you're expecting him to be kind of this intelligent player who kind of picks and picks out picks out his best moments, that's not what he's the best at. He's perfectly good at that. He has good tape on that. But it, like if you're looking to get the best out of him, you're looking for a press man kind of guy or press zone type of thing, which just make get him in the face of the other guys and just let him do his stuff. And yeah. as long as your scheme is good, he should succeed. I get a feel. I get a feel. We're going to see a bit of a theme here with the cornerbacks that are coming out. Yeah, this it's year. all. It's all. It's press all the way down. Yeah, basically. Henderson. Henderson's press man, but like he needs to understand zones and he needs to come better at his tackling. <laughs> but he's he's yeah. good at locking down a man and making it like yeah, don't throw over here. He's someone who's been a, like based on the last week. People have been putting him higher and higher in their mock drafts. Mm. So obviously, it's someone that people see again a lockdown corner potential in CJ Henderson and the rest of these guys are like the other guys we have like Trayvon Diggs, Jalen Johnson, Fulton from Alabama, Utah and LSU respectively. These are all mostly press guys as well but people don't seem to be as high on them. They seem more interchangeable I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, like with like Diggs being like someone who, who he's the brother uh, younger brother of Stefan Diggs so he's a former wide receiver. Mm-hmm. If you're looking for a playmaker type he's the kind of guy Whereas Jalen Johnson is someone who's really likes to get physical on the line of scrimmage and wreck the day of the wide receivers and like get them off their timing. Whereas Kristen Fulton is someone who's got really gaudy completion rate statistics, but um, perhaps maybe you know had a few too many moments where he ended up getting burned on tape. And LSU is a team that was so explosive, he maybe got away with it. And in terms of safeties, like there's not really much there. Like Kyle Duggar, a small school prospect dominated that level but like they're not in terms of talking about like a coverage safety there's not much there but if you're looking for a press if you want a big press guy you're spoiled for choice mm-hmm. but those top two guys according to the evaluators have separated themselves and should go very high where the rest of these guys should be in that late day one day two type of uh, uh, type of conversation Excellent. in Diggs, Johnson and Fulton Excellent. And then in terms of special teamers, 
Obviously, no one's going in the first round. Normally, there's not that many that go in the draft full stop. Yeah, uh, but we got to mention them. Yeah, there's kickers a, and are yeah, too. Blake and Chip, the kicker from Georgia, with multiple 50 yard kicks. Um, he looks like a big dweeb. He's got like thick, <laughs> thick, like glasses. horn rim glasses. And he had a bit of a reputation for like getting up and like getting, like you know, uh, being, being willing to, to, to show off, being happy and stuff like that. And mm. yeah, like there's no one, there's no, no miss prospect from special teams this year. Um, like like Blankenship and Bass are the kickers of interest that might get drafted, and Braden Mann is the only punter to get drafted. There's a few guys like Townsend and Carlton who might end up getting picked up later, probably uh, off uh, free agency. R- Ricky uh, Aguayo is there, the brother of yeah, uh, Roberto. Yeah, Aguayo's brother is also in there, so uh, we'll see how he ends up going. So fair enough. Uh, fair enough. Um, yeah, I don't think I've anyone going in my mock draft for the first round here, but we'll see. Uh, we'll swing over. We'll have a look at our mock drafts. Not a fair world. Okay, so uh, we'll fly to our ones. We've kind of talked about the prospects for the most part anyway, so it doesn't matter that much. Um, like I said, we've got a bit of a mixed bag because Fitz put uh, trades in his one. I didn't because I was lazy. Uh, so <laughs> I kept mine as simple as possible. Uh, whereas Fitz has a lot of trades. And, uh, well, I think the problem is there's lots of teams who want to trade. I don't know how... This, this is the thing. It will depend how much you're willing to take a discount just to get a few extra picks. Because there's certain teams that will desperately want more picks. Like the Chiefs will want more picks. Yeah. The Seahawks always want more picks. A team like the 49ers, uh, I don't think they have uh, any second or third round picks. So they'll probably want to trade down. Mm-hmm. And then there's certain teams where... You know, they're hoping that someone is desperate to get a, a quarterback or other kind of one of these elite prospects like Simmons or Derek Brown, and they can trade down to kind well, of. Like, like, like your, your, your first trade happens at three with the Lions trade with the Chargers. Whereas, yeah. like, and, I, and the thing is, it completely makes sense. I can see the Chargers looking to go with that, but I'm also kind of like, will there be enough of a market there? Like, will they swap down for it? Like, we'll, we'll see. Um, so, yeah, sure, we'll kick off. So, look, one. First overall, Bengals, we both have Joe Burrow. Makes perfect sense. Next up, Mizugus, we have Chase Young. Like we said, best prospect in the draft. Three, uh, I have the Lions taking quarterback Jeff Akuda to kind of shore up that back end for them. Defensive coach, yeah. makes sense. You have them trading and the Chargers taking? Uh, Tua. Um, so I think the char- like, like, like I think it's important to note here that like, we'll get down to the Lions where they, they end up at number six, obviously, because the Chargers move from six to three. They'll probably end up having to give like maybe a, a second round as well. I don't think like you'll be getting a, a future first or anything like that, but um, I think like I think the Lions will end up picking Akuda at number six unless he's taken by mm. probably the Dolphins are the only one who would take him, maybe the Giants, but I assume they're safe enough thinking they'll get Akuda at number six. Yeah. So and that's the thing I, I I also have I still have the Chargers getting Tua but getting him in yeah. their original position. And like the the like you know Burrow is a you know everyone thinks that um, the Wazungus unless they think a quarterback are definitely take Jason because he's the best player and he's at a premium position. I think, you know, obviously the, 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 the Lions traded away Darius Slay, so it makes sense that they would want to replace Darius Slay with the new Darius Slay, mm-hmm. um, or someone perhaps better than him. Um, and then when we talk about, like, you know, the Chargers coming up to pick Tua, I think both you you and uh, Daniel Jeremiah, the kind of reference point we're using today, um, have the Chargers taking Tua at six, so, yeah. you know, well, the, the, Chargers, like the, the, Chargers are, the Chargers are going in with, like, the, like yeah, Tyler Taylor, like the worst possible setup they can have and he, quarterback. He, he 
even though they had a bad season in terms of their, obviously they were number six, I think people expect that they could be a bounce-back candidate because the rest of the roster is still pretty solid. Like It could mm. be improved, but it's still pretty solid. And is it good enough to get past the Chiefs? We don't know, but certainly good enough to perhaps be in contention for that uh, wild card um, if they can't manage to do that. Well, remember, there's now, there's now uh, three possible wild cards as well, isn't there? So there's, uh, there's plenty yeah. of space for it. Um, okay, next up we have the Giants. Um, I think we've both got similar ideas here of Giants need to sort the trenches. They've got the quarterback from beforehand. I have them going offensive tackle just to try and shore something because they were getting killed on that. You have yeah. them going defensive tackle to try and get some pass rush going. Now, I think you're more, I think you're more sensible. I think you're correct that like like uh, most of the mock drafts, including Daniel Jeremiah, are going for the best um, the best prospect for off the offensive line, which in this case people are kind of saying is most likely to be Tristan Wirfs, kind of the most ready to go prospect, basically. Um, situation. I'm picking a defensive tackle, despite the fact that they just uh, tagged Leonard uh, Will- uh, Williams. Mm. Um, so this, is, this doesn't make much sense. Uh, you know, I think they picked uh, last year uh, their first. Uh, I think they picked uh, like a, a defensive tackle last year in the first round. So this doesn't make any sense. But Dave Gettleman, the man, is addicted to his. He's addicted to his defensive lineman. So this remember he used to be in uh, Carolina and he loved talking about his hog well, Dexter Lawrence sorry, was the player last year. Um, he loved his hog mollies. Mm. Like he was like, oh man, I just want these defensive tackles wrecking the line of scrimmage. And I think Derek Brown, some evaluators talking about him as a top three type prospect. So it, there's just I'm thinking I'm taking a swing here and saying Dave Gettleman mm. just can't avoid his addiction to defensive tackles who are like elite and who have the physical size that they control the line of scrimmage and he ends up doing a stupid thing objectively and selecting Derek Brown here at four. Fair enough. Uh, we both have the <laughs> Dolphins going for Herbert at five. Uh, two has already gone in your own. He's not in mine, but I think. Like it feels like the Dolphins will take Herbert. He fit takes a lot of the boxes they'd look for. They then have him behind Fitz for half a season to yeah. a season to, to get it figured out. He seems like a decent fit for them, I think. Yeah, I think Herbert would have less you'd have less kind of fighting for him to be played day one. Yeah. Whereas if you still draft him like Tua, I think, you know, I, I think the coaching staff would come up with a more pressure. So I think they're it might be better in the long run to be able to do the Patrick Mahomes and put him a year behind Fitz. Uh, whereas with two, I just think the hype would just become yeah. overwhelming. Uh, next up, like we've already discussed, essentially it's a reverse of where you had your first trade. I have the Chargers taking two, you have the Lions taking Jeff Okuda. So same outcome for both of us, just at different spots. Uh, seven, the Panthers, we've both got them going kind of defense and both got them going for a bit of a push. I have Derek Brown coming in on that defensive line and you have Isaiah Simmons joining their linebackers. Yeah. Yours, I suppose, makes more sense with the Keekly being gone as well. Yeah, I think it's, Best player available for Carolina. I'd imagine they're just going to take the best player they have had find, and that's probably a defensive player at this point. Um, I think like Derek Brown is perhaps the more obvious player, but I think Isaiah Simmons, like yeah, they, they have issues at safety and at linebacker. But mm-hmm. Keekly gone, and they got rid of Reed. Like they, they cut Eric Reed, so I do think Simmons, if he fits in the new culture and all that kind of stuff, that I think, and by all accounts, he sounds like he's a he's a he's a competitor and someone who wants to win games. Then. I imagine Matt Rule will decide that Isaiah Simmons might be the guy if Derek Brown is already off the off the board at this point. Yeah. So next up, we have the Cardinals and the Jaguars. You have the Jags trading with the Buccaneers, but the outcome is pretty much the same. And I think, to be honest, for the most part, the rationale is the same. 
Cardinals have a young quarterback under centre and they want to protect him. Jags have a new, a youngish quarterback in Minshew and possibly someone new coming in under centre to build that up. And the Buccaneers have, uh, well, they, it's not a young quarterback, but it's a new quarterback uh, who they need to protect. Yeah, like, so we basically have the next, the, these this collection of teams taking the combination of best tackles available. So Mechdy Becton and Thurston Wirfs, yeah. Tr- Tristan Wirfs, not Thurston Wirfs. <laughs> Uh, exactly. go, go into these guys in some combination. And, um, you know, my, my assumption here with the trade is that the Buccaneers are going to be very aggressive in this draft. There is no future for the Buccaneers, is my opinion. So you might as well do the aggressive thing. Move up, get your tackle that you need to shore up that offensive line, which is only okay last year. Because yeah. um, Tom Brady, you know, if you're going to make him work in that Bruce Arian scheme, he's going to need to have time to do those shot passes, to do that kind of work, because, you know those left tackles are going to be left out. So I think Becton is perhaps a slightly better fit for that because he's a big man who will just occupy space. Um, so that should slow things sufficiently there. Um, whereas Wurfs is perhaps more of a, uh, mm-hmm. a slight more of a, of a, a little more of a project to a certain extent. Um, I think, you know, obviously if you have Bruce Arians and you have Tom Brady, then the issues of Becton, which in terms of his weight and stuff, like there's no two better older people who could be better, um, mentors to make sure that he's kept on the right path and make sure that he's head to the high levels of competition so it, it, you know these these three guys these three offensive tackles uh worse becton and uh and wills oh, i just realized i got worse going twice in my draft oh well <laughs> i think you probably meant wills uh you're yeah. probably taking Jedrick wills so that's fine but these are all guys who should be decent players day one so it's just about what do you what you prefer no, of course. Uh, Browns up next. Uh, you have them going offensive tackle. Same rationale as beforehand, presumably. I have them going wide receiver. To be honest, I don't really need wide receiver that much. It's just more CeeDee Lamb was there, um, essentially. And I was kind of half buying the uh, half buying the potential that they're going to ship at least one of their weapons out. They can't keep paying them all, so they need to replace some of them with cheaper options. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Either way, they're building on giving something to the to their quarterback to try and give them more of a chance this year. Uh, yeah, I, I think from my perspective, the Browns it's it's all about protecting um, Baker Mayfield and just take the best defensive tackle available. And Andrew Thomas perhaps doesn't have the upside of the other three guys, but he's someone who played three years for Georgia. He should be a safe pick, and it's all just about giving. We know that Baker Mayfield, if he has time, he can be a good player, so it's just um, giving him that extra bit of time, just making sure he's not on the run immediately. No, of course. Next up, the Jets. Uh, you have the Falcons trading up in the spot, so I have the Jets, and I have them saying, okay, we need to give a weapon to Sam Darnold. We've lost uh, Anderson, so we're going to take Jerry Judy, one of the best two available in this thing. He's a good setup for the guys. Uh, you have the Falcons trading up. Fair, in your one, no one's taking a wide receiver yet, so dropping a couple of spots means there's probably still potential for the Jets to have that. Yeah. You have the Falcons moving up to grab cornerback CJ Henderson and yeah. presumably grow that pair of balls that the defense has been missing for the last two years? Yeah, and as I said, Henderson's been rushing up uh, boards and Atlanta has been associated with a lot of rumors about trading up, but they tend to trade up for, for high upside guys and CJ Henderson is the kind of high upside, lock them down situation. Um, that they might have, and you know, within the within the Seahawks type defense, um, there's a bit more zone, but like that's mostly taken care of with a safety. Like if they have a good safety over the top, then you can get a press and kind of get your job done there. So yeah. I think Henderson should be a good fit with that. 
we're obviously hoping he comes with a new kind of Richard Sherman type player. No, of course. 12 is the Raiders. We've both got them taking a wide receiver. I got them rugs because I've had two taken already. You've got CeeDee Lamb, who's the first one off the board for you guys. So makes sense. They need a wide receiver there. Like, they have nothing. Yeah, like, I think it would be very unusual if they didn't take a wide receiver unless one of these guys like Simmons or Brown ends up falling to them. Yeah, because uh, I have Simmons still on my board and he goes next to the 49ers for me. I think the 49ers, like you said, will be looking to trade down. They probably, you've got them taking Jerry Judy because their wide receivers are coming off the board later. Um, and I could see that because obviously they've lost one or two pieces there as well. But yeah, I just kind of had best player available for me was Isaiah Simmons at the time. So. Yeah, I, yeah, they're, they're probably going to trade down. Uh, but if Simmons fell that far, then I could definitely see them be tempted. They've been willing to invest at the... Uh, linebacker position before and I think it is an important one to kind of make that defense tick yeah uh, next up is the Buccaneers you have the Buccaneers traded with the uh, Jags before and so I have the Buccaneers taking an offensive tackle Andrew Thomas so we were in agreement because you had them taking trading up to get Nacti yeah and exactly you have the Jags coming down here and picking up a defensive tackle the, that, the Jags are a dumpster fire they just take best player available and Kinlaw's the kind of high upside player that they hope they can turn into a a franchise defensive tackle. They obviously lost Calais Campbell, uh, for example. So, yeah, they just need help everywhere. So, best player available for Jacksonville, I think. No, of course. Next up, the Broncos. Uh, we've got opposites on this. So, you've gone wide receiver. But like I said, you've got more receivers left over. I've gone cornerback with CJ Henderson. Uh, I see them losing a couple of pieces on the defensive side. They found good production out of... Was it, is it a rookie wide receiver from last year uh, that played quite well for them in the back end of the stretch? Uh, not Cortland Sutton, but yeah, they, I know you're talking about. Yeah, yeah but uh, yeah, so there's, there's, there's a few. But like, I, I, I like that because I think the Broncos have been talking up that they've got, you know, uh, Drew Locke is their is their future kind of thing. So give them a weapon for that, uh, and let them properly get him running. Yeah, like I, I suppose I'm going here. Like Henry Rooks is that kind of Tyreek Hill type play, and mm. John Elway. I don't know. Like they, I, I probably massively over underestimating John Elway, but he does kind of his public persona certainly it's like. Well, they have uh, Tyreek Hill. We should have a Tyreek Hill. Give me exactly. the Tyreek Hill yeah. at number 16 or 15. No, of course. Uh, makes sense, makes sense. And like I said, Rob's <laughs> a very good player, so uh, it would make sense. Falcons up next at 16. I have them taking defensive tackle uh, Javon Kinlaw. Uh, and you have, they traded with the Jets, and the Jets are here. The wide receivers with the top few are gone, so they then go offensive tackle to protect Sam Darnold. Yeah. Uh, like Joshua Jones uh, from, from Texas, uh, uh, he, he, he's one of these other guys, like Andrew Thomas, who has a lot of experience playing at the college level. Just the kind of guy, maybe doesn't have the hubs out of the top guys, but has a lot of experience, should be able to contribute on day one. I think for the Jets, once again, they, they probably just want to make sure Sam Darnold is getting hit every second play. Um, so picking up the best defensive lineman available makes sense for me. No, of course. Um, okay, so we've hit the halfway point. That's 16. Now we're on to the back half. Cowboys, I have them going, and this might be a bit of a jump. I have them going safety, safety Xavier McKinney. Um, I think they need more help in that area. I think he could provide it. Uh, I think, yeah, I, I think realistically they're going to try and trade down because they need to get young real quick with the amount of money they're paying to a small group of five or six players. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, like I think... It's difficult to kind of know because they have a new defensive coordinator, a new coach. Um, they like their splashy plays. I think if a if an elite cornerback came down to them, they'd probably pick him because Byron Jones is obviously gone. But I think, you know, someone like uh, McKinney or Clovin Chazon, they kind of, it, it, I think it's hard to know what the Cowboys would do. I just give them Chazon because he's kind of a, mm. he had a lot of exciting tape or it's very high upside. 
uh, pick, but the Cowboys, it's very hard to know what they're going to do, so we're kind of just shooting in the dark. No, of course, yeah. And I, I've got, I've got uh, Shazon going next to the Dolphins, and you have them taking offensive tackle Austin Jackson. So um, we've both got them essentially going, essentially setting up for the future. We've both got them taking Herbert, and then you've got him taking a, an offensive tackle to then protect Herbert, if he gets into the tail end of the year or whatever, but uh, basically yeah. kind of lay the foundation for, for, for the post-Fitz magic world. Yeah, like Jackson's more of a prospect, uh, but um, basically, yeah, he's probably one of these high upside ones. I think for the Dolphins, they're still in rebuild mode, so you can afford to take that risk compared to a team like the Browns. Mm-hmm. Um, so they get their guy in, they hope to train him up, and obviously, you know, the Dolphins are hoping to have a good culture that can make that happen. And oh, Jackson, there's a nice story around him that he... He had a poor 2019, but he had also donated bone marrow to his sister uh, in the offseason mm. before. So uh, the fact that he was able to play well despite that, because that's obviously a bad thing to do, a hard thing to do, um, it's, it's a good, good, good character, right character, I suppose, if you want to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, Raiders, Raiders are up next with their second pick, so I've given them cornerback Jalen Johnson, helped them establish that. I think they're in a division with... The Chiefs, so they need to try and lock that down a bit. The Broncos have found success with their wide receivers late, and you've got them taking a new one up there as well. Uh, you've got so you've got Kenneth Murray linebacker for them, trying to help yeah. build on that because they 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 took a they took a defensive back in the draft last year who got injured, wasn't it? Uh yeah yeah the the, the first round safety, but uh, yeah. Kenneth so, Murray like I'm not even sure of the fit here, but I just think he's like one of these guys who's. Who's very fast, who moves around a lot, and I just associate the Raiders with picking that type of player. <laughs> I'm tempted to just give them another wide receiver because they just need wide receivers so desperately. But mm-hmm. I think Murray, uh, even though I don't know if the scheme fits perfect, he just kind of has that kind of Raiderness that I could easily see them going for. Uh, no. Just has those kind of physical tools, that speed tools that I just associate with the Raiders, to be honest. No, perfect. Jags, I've got them going wide receiver and Justin Jefferson, and you've got them going defensive end and neuter Gross Mathos. Yeah, uh, I'm basically assuming the Yannick Ngakwe thing goes, well, yeah. he's going to leave Jacksonville, so they need another mm. defensive end. They're rebuilding so they can af- they can, they can can afford to take a, a punt on a project like Yeter Gross Mathos, and mm. I think maybe more of a power defensive end. And, they, and, and you know, they've already got Kinlaw above, so it's kind of pairing two guys to grow together on the line, which can be your new exactly. nucleus. Just kind power... Of Two guys with power of project, it's just, you know, mm-hmm. will they be wasted by the level of coaching they have in Jacksonville? Possibly, but hey, the, the coaches mm-hmm. probably don't believe that. <laughs> uh, Eagles are up next. Uh, I think this is a prime time where they might try and trade down because uh, you've got them taking a wide receiver in Justin Jefferson. Uh, I had him go in the last pick for myself, so I've given them Yudor Gross Mathos. They like their defensive ends, but I think you're right. They need wide receivers, and I think, yeah. as we discussed, the depth in this draft means if they can turn that into a second and a third and maybe a fifth next year or something, they'll be able to get wide receivers at both the second and the third pick. So, like, Alshon Jeffries and all these guys that people are talking about them trying to offload. So, if that does happen, then they desperately need wide receiver help. And, like, just Jefferson's best wide receiver available. But, yeah, maybe they're willing to just trade down and get more get more picks and pick a couple of guys. Mm. Um, or if one of these guys, like CD Lamb, Jerry Judy, falls a bit, maybe they get more aggressive and move oh, up. Oh, yeah, I can see them move up with one of the top three they, guys. They've they fallen in our mock drafts in a kind of awkward middle area. Mm. I've given them Jefferson, but I could easily see them kind of moving up or down to kind of get either more or get one of the elite guys that yeah. are available. Uh, Vikings now go, I've got AJ Terrell, the cornerback, going to them, and you've got defensive end AJ uh, Epinesa. So 
I think we both think, yeah, defensive pieces are what's needed. They've locked down their quarterback for the next little bit. They're fairly happy with the weapons. They were happy to let one of them go. So I think it's probably defensive side needs a bit of a rebuild at this point. They've lost yeah. so many pieces off it. Like they need a lot of cornerback help. So I could very easily see AJ Terrell. They've been willing to pick corners early, so that's a good pick in my opinion. I've got Ray Epinesa because Everson Griffin is gone now or likely gone when he mm-hmm. when they didn't pick up the option. So since that hasn't resolved itself, I, I think they'll they'll probably also have to resolve defensive end via the draft and in this case they go for I suppose the safe pick of Espinosa and you know get someone who can be a day one contributor but perhaps doesn't have the mm. the gaudy upside of a of a gross matters or someone like that. No, of course. Uh, Patriots next. I've got them going offensive tackle with Joshua Jones. You got them going safety with Xavier McKinney. Uh, my thought is, you know, they're going to be either running with a really raggedy group of quarterbacks or they're going to be paying someone to come in so put some protection in there uh, essentially. Yeah, like uh, Patriots are obviously a, a major candidate to do some trading around, but mm. I think Xavier McKinney, like obviously they they, they re-upped the, the the McCurdy McCurdy, but I do think like getting some extra help in the secondary wouldn't be the worst thing. It just kind of solidify that. I think McKinney's a very Patriots type player, so I think the Patriots very hard to predict what they're going to do. But again, McKinney just mm. is kind of a Pats type player, yeah. especially this- given the. Tom Brady situation it's even harder than usual our next our next two picks are very unusual to happen at this point so we've disagreed on most of the things in the draft so far yeah we're in lockstep on 24 and 25 24 at the Saints we have we both have them taking Patrick Queen the linebacker like we said beforehand a lot of upside but kind of potential risk hasn't played for that long will probably sit well in the Peyton system there yeah. so like yeah I, I like that fit they can, they can afford to take a risk here and since the wide receiver depth is, is high and they got Emmanuel Sanders. There's no real obvious place you're like, oh, they have to improve that. So just take a high upside guy and then you know start replacing these players to go along. People like Demario Davis is getting on. So yeah. just you know, have that. And then, the best player. You have that luxury. And then, like we mentioned, the Vikings, who have just sent uh, one of their wide receivers packing, decide to now dip in at 25 and take uh, wide receiver T. Higgins. And we both have them taking him at that point. Again, it's really weird to disagree on everything and then just find a 25 and 24. You're both in lockstep. Well, you kind of run out of players that were picking to a certain extent. Yeah. Uh, so, but I think in this case, there's been a lot of mocking of T. Higgins to the Vikings. So, I'm, I'm willing to take the, the case here. And he's kind of got that long end speed that Stefan Diggs did. So, I think within that play action heavy uh, Viking scheme, it makes sense to have someone who can just run past the defense and make a lot of big plays with that. So. You know, if he's got that IR in speed, then it makes sense to kind of put him in there. No, of course, the Dolphins rebuild continues. So you've now got them taking quarterback, offensive tackle, and running back. I have them taking uh, quarterback, defensive end, and wide receiver. So I've got Brandon Ayuk going to them. And uh, you've got running back Jonathan Taylor, first one off the board, going to them there. So uh, yeah. Well, Ayuk, we didn't even take a talk about Ayuk, but he's one of these other... Like, there's so many wide receivers that yeah. disagree with what, which ones could sneak into the bottom half of this. Uh, Taylor, we talked about it at length, but I, I do see the Dolphins perhaps as a team that you know is going to be a, a run-first team. Um, so Jonathan Taylor, I think if you're going to be a run-first team, Jonathan Taylor is perhaps a better fit in that than DeAndre Swift. I think DeAndre Swift is the perfect um, pivot back, where you know he's mm. doing all the things that you want and, and, and you know, and a, you know makes the rest of the offense better. Whereas if you want to if you want a plumper. Um, that John and Taylor is a good fit. I think Dolphins could really do with that this year because their running game last year was so bad. Yeah, no, it was terrible. And you know, next pick uh, the Seahawks. Uh, you had Kenneth Murray. He's a great. He, that's a great pick. If he falls, then he'd be a perfect replacement. 
Uh, third linebacker immediately places KJ Wright. Um, I had them trading out the Buccaneers coming back in based on the YOLO um, uh, situation of picking DeAndre Swift as the more complete three down back. Mm-hmm. You're James White and you're in between the tackles running back in one. We know Tom Brady knows how to take advantage of uh, these flexible running backs. So DeAndre Swift, if it's upside is what people say it is, then that could be a really exciting offense day one. Yeah. And in my imaginary Buccaneers, they're going to be absolutely crazy and just do everything to get as much talent on that team as quickly as possible. No, that's true. Uh, Ravens at 28, we're also in agreement on this one. Uh, we've both gone for linebacker Zach Bond. Uh, I think decent yeah. decent fit for them, good player available at they this need, point. They need pass rushers, uh, and Zach Bond is a good pass rusher. He's also playing coverage, and I think we trust the like. They look at the production and they'll go, well, we're the Ravens, we, we know what we're doing. We'll be able to take advantage of this, even if he's a bit of a tweener. No, of course. Um, Titans up next. Uh, I have them taking offensive tackle, Austin Jackson. Just, you know, with their run-first kind of thing, I thought, why not add a couple more bodies onto that line? Yeah. You've gone defensive tackle in Ross Blackrock. Yeah, like, it's hard. Like, the Titans are very hard to read right now, as well as with the way that they've changed so quickly, like, offensive tackle makes sense uh, after they lost their, their right tackle mm-hmm. um, into free agency. And Blackrock is, like, a good player available. So I could, the Titans are, it'd be very hard to predict them, but I just got to get them who I tell is the best player available for them at this point. I don't I don't really know, have really any more insight into what they're actually likely to do. To yeah, uh, Packers at 30. I have them grabbing a centre, Cesar Ruiz. Like I said, one of the interior guys slipped into mine. And uh, you have them taking wide receiver Jalen Ragor. I just kind of like the idea of they, they, they yeah, I, yeah. I don't really know what they need, but I know I wasn't completely sold on them last year. Uh, yeah, and it could be Ayuk as well. Like, I think they want a explosive playmaker type because they have Devontae Adams to kind of move the chains and be like the over-the-shoulder Aaron Rodgers uh, safety blanket. So they could really do with like a complimentary piece who kind of could be like that like early Randall Cobb, just making those big plays from the slot or from the other receiver set. And I think the Packers, there isn't too many holes in the team, but that receiving game just was a bit pedestrian Mm -hmm. um, at times last year, so they'll look to make that a little bit better. Um, But Ruiz Ruiz would be a good pick to kind of show up defensive line and just give Rodgers more time and just keep him safe as he gets old. No, of course. Uh, 49ers, I've got them taking defensive end AJ Panessa, and you've got them taking cornerback Jalen Johnson. Um, obviously, I had them taking a linebacker earlier, so kind of just constant re re invigorating fresh blood into that defense because they lost a few pieces. And uh, you've kind of doing the same, but on the back end where they kind of suffered a little bit because Sherman is yeah. obviously aging and stuff like that as well. So Yeah, it's hard. Like, we're working with the trade a lot. And- move around a lot and we'll kind of see what they end up picking up but mm. with the 49ers they do probably need to just make sure that defence stays on top of itself as time goes on yeah and finally the Chiefs at 32 I've been thinking cornerback Jeff Gladney like I said I, I completely expect them to trade out of this if possible but uh, I don't know what the market's going to look like for it so cornerback They've got a few pieces coming back there, but they need more bodies. I expect to see probably two defensive backs taken by them in this draft. You have the Saints trading up with them. And I quite like this. This is, this is the kind of move that I would expect to see. Saints moving up, drafting quarterback Jordan Love at 32. Locks in that fifth-year option, because if he's going to sit behind Breeze for another year, why not have the extra year? Like, like We've heard a lot about Jordan Love being a potential first-round pick. If he's falling into this say 25 to 32 range 
it's hard not to imagine if the hype is correct that someone like uh, the Packers might pick him with their actual pick, or the Saints move up, or the Patriots move up, um, perhaps even the Chargers if they've they've passed earlier. But someone's willing to move up and get that fifth year option. Um, so if he's picked in the first round, I imagine it would be the, it would be in these last set of picks. And in this mm-hmm. case, I just went ah, the Chiefs, whatever. Like just give them, uh, we'll give them, we'll we'll trade out and get Jordan Love. Yeah, no, makes sense. Makes sense. Um, yeah, so that's that's where we are. We have what one, two, three, four, five, six that we're in agreement on. Yeah, and we we've created our consensus pick situation, but uh, we'll we'll go over how that does uh, uh, in the thing. But just very quickly, uh, the consensus pick went: Joe Burrow, Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, Tristan Wirfs, Justin Herbert, Tua, Derek Brown, Mekdi Becton, Javon Kinlaw, C.D. Lamb, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Isaiah Simmons. Andrew Thomas, C.J. Henderson, Joshua Jones, Clavon, Chason, Austin Jackson, Kenneth Murray, Gator Gross Matos, Justin Jefferson, A.J. Epineza, Xavier McKinney, Patrick Queen, T. Higgins, Brandon Ayuk, Trayvon Diggs, Zach Bound, Ross Blackrock, Cesar Ruiz, Jalen Johnson, Jed Dadney, and that's in the order of the original draft that we were so going uh, from 1 to 32 as mm. currently is set. Also, we'll, uh, if, you, if you really want to find out, uh, we can send it on to you, don't worry. Yeah. So we will, we will obviously, we'll be watching closely now uh, as it happens over the coming few days and we'll be back afterwards with a very quick review of any surprises or any news because the thing is it's normally now that we'll start to see a lot of negotiation happening around moving players and combos of players and picks for positional picks and stuff like that so it's going to be I imagine we'll be coming back with both a quick review of how the draft went any big surprises but then also like oh these following players now play for different teams and things like that. Uh, yeah. And if we don't, we'll, we'll be doing our usual division-by-division division reviews or previews of the upcoming season, and we'll talk about the important players drafted for each team um, in terms of the major inputs uh, going forward anyway. So yeah. one way or the other, you're going to hear about the top players coming from this draft. No, of course. But, and actually, at that, at that point, you're probably going to hear about most of them because we'll be kind of like, well, we're covering four teams. Let's cover the first five rounds of their draft picks and how they might fit in. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, it'll be fun. You know, it's a long summer, guys, and it gets hot as fucking balls out here. So staying inside and, and doing a podcast might be safer than sitting outside in 39 degree heat. I'd be, I'd be very much in favour of that. But um, yeah, I suppose that will wrap us up for now. Uh, anything else you want to add in? No, I think that's fine. Uh, yeah, I'm so, uh, looking forward to the uh, piped in fake booze that... Uh, you know, uh, they better the, the do commish, that. The commission is going to use to seem really cool. They better do that. It's really late. Yeah, I look forward to just kind of going over with a fine tooth comb that he's he's going to be presenting from his basement and just seeing what's visible in the background, so we can be like, huh? Oh, I yeah. didn't know he was into that. Like, like I think I think the the booze just they became ironic once they left New Jersey or left New York because it was only the Jets fans who could genuinely mm. year after year truly live up to being that annoying and that you know bitter <laughs> the commissioner and actually boo out of non-irony uh, as it's been moved around the country obviously it's going to be Las Vegas this year before uh, that ha- coronavirus happened uh, it's become more of a stage acting and it's yeah, more, more of a joy at the past more of a joke well, yeah no I look forward to it so we'll uh, yeah we'll wrap it up there so we'll watch that we'll come back to you with some feedback stuff on it afterwards um so uh, that's all from us for now. So bye from myself, bye from Fitz. Bye. It's been all four quarters. Actually, this is a chat to you uh, after the draft or something.